there, there's going to be some rethinking on this. And so I'm very lucky to uh, get to do this show. And it's just the kind of thing that I wanted to do with my gallery is kind of do the things that needed to be done that other people weren't doing for whatever reason and that have some personal significance to me. And so in that sense, it, it ticks all the boxes. Um, I was just a little bit afraid that people were going to make fun of me. Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. I'm Marion Manneker, and we're going to explore the mysteries of the global art market. That's Adam Lindemann talking about his new show of Bernard Buffet's paintings being put on at Venus Over Manhattan, his gallery on Madison Avenue in New York City. He's joking, of course, but there's a real reason for the trepidation. Bernard Buffet was once a byword for a kind of kitsch. And even before that, he was one of the most famous artists in the world, considered a rival and heir to Pablo Picasso. But that all changed very suddenly. And I'll let Adam explain how it came about and why. Adam, I know you have been involved in uh, collecting uh, Bernard Buffet for a number of years before launching this show. I'd like to hear a lot more about the show, but could you start by sort of telling us about your experience as a collector? Just, you know, what got you interested in him? What was it like to try and get information and sort of pursue it at first? Well, I got into this uh, because when I did my opening show, Arabour, which is based on the, the Wiesman's book, Against Nature, Against the Grain, it was based on the um, perverse taste of the Count Duc Jean de Zissant, uh, who collected only things that the bourgeois of his time would hate. And so <laughs> the, the original show was based on a sort of fast-forward Jean de Zissant in 2012, what what he would have that either shock the what they call épaté le bourgeois, shock the bourgeoisie, or um, things that literally uh, he could appreciate with his very dark sense of art, but that the that the, the, the world at large would be would, would hate. And um, as a kind of a, a, a modern day Jean des Essentes from the book, um, I thought that. I, somehow I was introduced to the work of Buffet, um, and I was looking at a show that Alison Gingeris did called Pretty Ugly back at uh, Michelle Macaron's gallery quite a while ago. And I was looking through all the different things uh, as sort of a menu of options that I, I might include, including uh, I had already had my Jeff Koons Made in Heaven sex piece, and I had some scary work by David Hammonds, and I had some um, very dark pieces by Dash Snow, who had died of a drug overdose, tragically. And I had also uh, Gustave Moreau and Odilon Rodon, who were two artists that the real Jean de Zissant in the Huisman's book collected. So I had a mix of interesting things. Um, and I was looking, flipping through that, and I, I discovered Bernard Buffet, who's an artist that I really didn't know. And in that sense, I was not uh, uh, um, weighted down by this sort of uh, the distaste for kitschy buffet and all of that. I was looking at it with fresh eyes, and uh, I, I was 
drawn to it, and I thought that it was really um, interesting, and uh, I love the fact that it was kind of controversial, and it was considered in such poor taste. And so I chose to uh, include a painting from the estate, uh, two big clowns, big late clown painting, in my inaugural show, just because it was um, it was just in like such poor taste, but they were also these like freakish clowns that at the end of the day reminded me personally of Andy Warhol's Ladies and Gentlemen series completely. Like for me, it was a dead ringer, Ladies and Gentlemen, Warhol, transvestites, transsexuals. And suddenly it seemed very relevant to show things that were just so out that they had to come back and be in. And um, it also fit in with uh, the fact that I was doing my first show uh, of a book in French, and here was a French artist. And um, I went to the French school here in New York, so I'm kind of like well-versed in French culture, literary culture. Um, And so I loved everything that I then learned about Buffet, who was called l'artiste maudit, M-A-U-D-I-T, which is the cursed artist. And... um, of course, his history starting out as a kind of a fashion young artist in Paris in the 50s and part of this sort of uh, cocktail champagne scene and his famous uh, relationship with Berger and then this triangle with Yves Saint Laurent. But I was really interested in the buffet that was um, thrown out by French society in the 60s because as France leaned far to the left, especially in terms of the cultural institutions, Artists like Picasso, Bohemians, cigarette smoking, you know, paint splattered Bohemians were uh, in fashion. And that's what the world has left us with. But artists like Buffet were suddenly seen as like very right wing and very bourgeois. And also the fact that as a gay man, uh, he married and then he was also thrown out by the gay mafia. So he was both an outcast within the world, the artistic world, because he chose to you know, <laughs> live in a, a drive a road, drive around a be driven around in a Rolls Royce and um, live in a castle, but also and always in suits and, and very elegant. Um, so he, he refused to adhere to the French cultural left leaning system, which also famously uh, decided that abstraction was the um, was the uh, was the was the sort of future of art, and abstraction was. Um, painting abstraction was kind of like avant-garde, whereas painting figurative was kind of old-fashioned and passé. So I love the fact that kind of Buffet was a, a, a kind of um, a, um, a um, he's a contrarian. And in that sense, I found some uh, sympathetic feelings towards his sort of very crazy life and, and very contrary views. And then when I learned that he had developed Parkinson's at the end of his life, and killed himself, uh, hung himself by the neck. Well, that gave some real gravitas to his story. I love stories. And I ended up uh, really being wowed by a show that I saw at Basel about four, four five, six years ago that uh, my friend Sebastian Jean sended of all paintings of a series called La Mort, uh, Death, obviously. And we have two of those paintings here in this show. So I've always been a fan of those paintings, and I included one of them. Uh, in a show that I did called Fetiche uh, last year, so which mixed it with African art and you know cannibal bones and oceanic art and all sorts of exotic mixes. So um, 
I have this buffet thing, and I, I later learned that uh, people that I respect, like Alison Gingeris, and of course Udo Kittelman, the great German curator, um, have uh, have also done buffet shows and also have this kind of um, half-known obsession with buffet. And interestingly enough, I, I waited all these years to do the show. I used to go meet with his dealer, Maurice Garnier, uh, once or twice a year as I'd swing through Paris. I'd always visit Maurice Garnier in the Gallery Garnier, which showed buffet all of his life and you know, would occasionally try to buy a painting or just take in – I like to take in the ambiance. And then Garnier died, but I never did the buffet show because I thought the time wasn't right and people would make fun of me. Um, and I was kind of ashamed to do a full-on buffet show. But then when the uh, Musée d'Art Moderne de la Ville de Paris and uh, Fabrice Hergot, the curator, did their buffet retrospective last summer in Paris, the first time that Bernard Buffet has had a French museum show uh, ever, I think since the God knows when, in decades, I thought the timing was right. And so I asked um, the estate to um, do the show with me, and uh, they agreed, and hence here's my <laughs> Bernard Buffet show uh, that I've been waiting to do for five years, but sort of New York hasn't seen something quite like this, I think, in a long time. That, one, that's an amazing story, but especially that even having discovered a fraternity of like-minded, uh, you know, buffet lovers, you still felt you needed the um, the confidence of this, uh, you know, big retrospective, and even I, I think the the Nick Fowkes, um uh, biography adds a lot to the story, you know, making it possible for people to really get the broader contours of why he was so famous and why he became unfamous, uh, separate from the the pictures the, themselves. But I'm really curious, you've shown Buffet's work in two different shows, you just said, what was the reaction from the people who came to those shows? And, you know, uh, as both just gallery goers and as potential buyers? Uh, most of them just get kind of weirded out by it and they don't know what it is. <laughs> Which explains why you were reticent to launch a show. Yeah. But for those people who like art that provokes strong feelings, and it's interesting, we've had uh, a lot of interest in this show. Um, and... Uh, uh, funny enough, John Waters is about to come over, um, and he's going to get a preview because he's he's interested in, in Buffet, and um, it, and you know Andy Warhol famously said that Bernard Buffet was his favorite artist, and you never know if Andy said something if that's what he meant or he meant the opposite, but he probably meant it and he meant the opposite at the same time. Who knows? But it doesn't matter. The fact is, he used to say it. Well, well, talk about that, because there seems there's a kind of a fine edge of that kitsch factor you mentioned earlier. There's there's something that that's exciting about Buffet, just both because it seems so on the edge. And uh, I, the more of his work that I've seen, when you start seeing some of the landscapes and the things that are actually just pretty, as well as the really early for lack of a better term, existential pieces. Though yeah. every buffet is very distinctively his, you know, uh, line, as it were, there's a very wide range of subject uh, uh, matter and, uh, you know, even sort of aesthetic tone to his work. Yeah. Um, 
I, I think that uh, if you look at artists like um, you know George Kondo, I mean he's certainly um, in that style of uh, you know fast painting and someone who can walk right up to the canvas and and bang it out. But um, I think Buffet also was drawn to like you know paintings of Joan of Arc and. I love his series of, um, you know, Mark Dyan included this whole amazing series he did about Captain Nemo, um, Jules Verne's Captain Nemo, in the show he did at the Musée Océanographique in Monaco, which was fantastic. And the idea of Captain Nemo as this kind of, uh, you know, renegade pirate with this high-tech submarine piercing these uh cargo ships and then taking their treasures, their art, and their gold uh, for his personal purposes because he was against uh, the commerce and uh, he had his own crazy world. But if you think about Captain Nemo too, you look at the paintings, it's all men. So there's definitely this homoerotic thing about Captain Nemo and the submarine and the piercing the vessels and the collecting the treasures. You know, I see always uh, the other side of Buffet, this kind of um, tortured soul in Buffet. And I'm not saying every painting is great. Um, I don't think they are, but um, certainly some of them are just amazing. And uh, I particularly, I'm drawn to the existentialist ones, uh, and I'm less interested in the landscapes. and the. But even if you look at some of the old French streets from the 50s or something, they do have a very special feeling. And uh, I do love the work from the 50s, especially. And I like the late work from the late 90s. I think he had something at the end of his life, something very strong. But there are good buffet paintings throughout his career. And there are others that, you know, I'm not that interested in bouquets of flowers and stuff like that. But if you look at them, once you see the work in the broader scheme, you can kind of see attention in, in all of the work, which is interesting. I think there are great paintings and, and certainly a lot of lesser ones. The guy was unbelievably productive, and uh, his career kind of ended in Europe, I think, at some point in the 60s, but his market exploded in Japan. And so there was a huge uh, uh, appetite for Bernard Buffet in Japan. He sold a lot of works through Gallery Tamanaga into Japan, and I think it's because of the calligraphic nature of his work. The fact that like his line is so distinctive and it, it's almost like a, I don't know, like a Zen master's, you know, ability to walk up to and walk up to a piece of rice paper, make that shoot that one gesture that's like perfect. And if you look at Buffet's line, it's always perfect. And the story goes that he could walk up to a canvas in any size and just paint the picture. Bingo. There was no sketches, no drawings, no rulers. I just like you know, loose freehand, and I'm far from a painter, but the idea that it was all in him and just constantly pouring out of him is pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah, those descriptions in folks' um, uh, biography of the people first seeing the, the, the canvases looking as if they were like attacked and tortured, and then he has another great line about nature might abhor a straight line, <laughs> but they seem to flow out of uh, Buffet uh, directly. Uh, I mean, his work is unbelievably distinctive that, that, that way. I mean, you, nothing else looks like uh, a, a Buffet painting. Yeah. Where you mentioned the Japanese and it sort of brings up 
to me one of the interesting things about he is such a prolific artist and he has been so absent from you know uh, 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 taste these last few years it makes you wonder where so much of this work is. I mean, I assume the the estate has a fair amount of work, but it sounds like a lot of it's been, you know, cast to the four winds and that, you know, bringing it back together or at least developing someone with a sense of where the works are is a major project. Yeah. Well, the thing is that there's a lot of work in the estate. They didn't like to sell too much, so they kept a lot back. And um, I think in the end, it was a mistake, to be quite honest. I think they should have sold more because um, the market would have been better. They like to keep the good paintings and sell the lesser ones. So the estate has a lot of great paintings. A lot of the stuff you see at auction is not that good. So um, it's unfortunate that they decided to like keep as much good ones because it was their fantasy to have the fond de dotation, they call it, and create the Bernard, Bu- Bernard Buffet Museum. So throughout his lifetime, they kept back all the large paintings and a lot of the great stuff for the Bernard Buffet Museum, which they were confident that they were going to get. But here we are, uh, what is it, uh, 20 years after his death, and there is no Bernard Buffet Museum. So all this stuff has just been sitting in storage for 20 years and throughout his lifetime. So most of the great buffets are in the estate. And few of the great paintings are, are with the public. I mean, some are, but, but few, not as many as you'd think. And the estate is just biding its time, or do they have plans to try and you know put some of, of this work on show? Uh, they do it slowly. You know, they do it at their own uh, pace. Um, and uh, like I said, <laughs> I've been thinking about doing this for years. And uh, they're in no rush. They're still waiting for the museum. So in a sense, in a sense, this is a, it's a wonderful time capsule. So. <laughs> But they're waiting for the museum in the sense that they're like waiting for the French government to uh, 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 create uh, some sort of a deal with them the way they did with Picasso or, you know, someone to come along and say, I'll build the building the way, you know, Clifford Still uh, did so that they can endow it with the the great uh, uh, buffet works and uh, establish his reputation. Yeah. Yeah. They they want a museum. Are they going to get it? I don't know. But it's a bit of a time capsule, too. It's, it's a wonderful, you know, old-fashioned concept. Um, I think it's a, great, uh, it's, a great, it's a great story. No, it's a fantastic story. That's, that's what made the biography so uh, refreshing and, and exciting. Yeah. And I think the fact that Nick, he wrote the biography is, uh, is great. I mean, I think that's also a catalyst to sort of bring it back and all these different things. It's, it's, it's in the air somehow. There, there's going to be some rethinking on this. And so I'm very lucky to uh, get to do this show. And it's just the kind of thing that I wanted to do with my gallery is do the things that needed to be done that other people weren't doing for whatever reason and that have some personal significance to me. And so in that sense, it, it ticks all the boxes. Um, I was just a little bit afraid that people were going to make fun of me. <laughs> 
that's not the right way to think it, but it kind of, they wouldn't get it. You know, it's very sad when you do a show and you love it, but you open it to the public and if no one enjoys it or appreciates it, uh, it's not satisfying. And in this case, uh, I waited a long time and I, I think the time is going to be right. People are going to be like, wow, that's really good. It looks like a freaking Mark Grosjean, <laughs> which is what's been happening. Oh really? People because because of all of the uh, uh, the butterfly paintings, they're they're seeing the linear quality of it uh, and comparing it to Grosjean. Yeah, and I think that you know you see Grosjean driving around in a Rolls Royce or whatever. I mean, Buffet was doing that in the fifties, and you know he is a Warholian uh, uh, figure and sort of a larger than life character. Um, you know, I'm a huge Dali fan, so I don't want to say anyone is his awesome as Dali and as wild as Dali, but he is a wonderful story and a wonderful chapter in the art world. And it also is this interesting uh, story of, you know, what they call la France de l'après-guerre. But um, France after the war, remember that, you know, they were invaded by the Germans. They, you know, had this mixed story of both uh, the resistance, but also the collaborators. And uh, France was destroyed after the Second World War and was kind of rebuilding itself um, uh, into, uh, you know, what it aspired to become again. And it became the, another, a new center of luxury and fashion. But it was kind of decimated as an industrial and certainly as a superpower. It never was again. So there's an existential sadness in Buffet's work that I feel that reminds me of, you know, when I was in high school reading Albert Camus or Jean-Paul Sartre or stuff like that. No, and uh, uh, folks makes very clear that part of the attraction to the uh, original group of collectors before he even met Berger was the depiction of a life they recognized, of a of a Paris they recognized, of deprivation and fear uh, and uncertainty from the war years. And and when he first emerged in what's it forty eight forty nine or so, so, that's what people were buying. Finally, a depiction of what they'd been through. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was called Le Miserabilisme. Um, yeah, that, that school of art is called the Miserabilism or something. Uh, and I like that dark stuff. I, I, I like art that is a kind of a gripping and a little dark. Well, you, even even the the vases of flowers have a, a dark edge to them. For not trying to be a make a pun there, but you know, there, there's always something kind of jittery and uh, uh, fragile and almost you know uh, shattered in uh, the the works that I've seen. Yeah, wonderful. And. It's interesting to me, you know, part of what folks was trying to say was that uh, here was the first Damien Hirst, you know, the first sort of superstar uh, uh, artist as a as a uh, celebrated uh, rich guy. And it, we've come so far the last uh, 15 or 20 years. You know, you listed uh, several of them. We could probably add uh, a, another half dozen uh, uh, current working artists who are very successful and very very wealthy, uh, and it almost seems like it's a, it, it's incomprehensible that 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 would have been the stumbling block uh, uh, for him, even given you know the sensibilities of the of the '60s uh, and France and all. Absolutely, 
but at the same time um he fell on the side of uh of the bourgeois you know he was he was pigeonholed as a bourgeois and therefore um he was kind of that added to the hatred i mean there's this whole story that andre malraux who was the uh, head of uh, a french uh, minister of french culture was very much against him and threw him out of all the museums and the French cultural system decided to elevate Picasso and to um, to uh, deprecate Dufay. And so that also makes me wonder so much, you know, what makes a great artist? Is it the system? Like how much of it is the art and how much of it is the context and the system? And uh, obviously it's a mix of all these things. I'm not saying Picasso wasn't a great artist. And I'm not saying Buffet's Picasso, but certainly he suffered a fate that uh, and dignity that was, you know, certainly probably undeserved. And he was kitchified and marginalized. And I think some of the work is really amazing. So it'll be a good show. You see, it'll be interesting to see how people react. What do you think it, uh, the next step will be to bring it back? Is it to show him alongside other artists, or just to continue to show the breadth of his work? You have well. Let's let's talk about your show, just because uh, 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 obviously people need to know more than just that you're having a, a show. There's there's uh, fifteen twenty works in the show. Yeah, we have fifteen paintings, and, and it's from a, a range of uh, his both. Uh, work and styles, or is it mostly, uh, you it's know, from the fifties to the nineties? So we have work uh, throughout the career, but it's mostly the more existentialist type stuff. Uh, what you call the existentialist work? It, it's it's it, I have the more kind of gripping and, and more the it's more my taste, um, but it's a pretty good survey of the work. And uh, it's a broad, broad uh, oeuvre, so there's a lot of different nuances that are not included, but it's, uh, it's a good representation, and I think it shows Buffet the artist and not Buffet the, um, the sort of painter of bouquets of flowers. But what would be the next thing for him? I think he would need some sort of a traveling show here in the U.S. That would be sort of the goal. And... Um, you should get one. It's a shame. Uh, uh, 40, 50 years ago, your show would move to a, a museum, uh, you know, in St. Louis or uh, uh, San Francisco. The the idea now that, you know, somehow you can't cross that divide uh, is a bit of a shame because you're, you're right. It really needs to get around and that more people have access to the work. I think you'll get it. It'll take a few more years, maybe. But who knows? The world's going, moving faster and faster. And sort of the right wing is, is maybe popular again in the age of Donald Trump. <laughs> Although I don't think that Dufay was particularly um, uh, right-leaning or left-leaning. I think that he had uh, enjoyed uh, success early on in life, and he was kind of a... a Dali-esque, Warhol-esque in that sense that, you know, he reveled in, in um, uh, you know, fine suits and, and, and fancy cars and, and uh, living in the countryside in a, in a chateau, even though, you know, in those days, artists weren't all that wealthy. Come on. 
Well, he also grew up in fairly extreme uh, privation with the combination of the Depression and uh, living in Paris during the war. Uh, so if, if there's ever a thing that might form a desire to live sumptuously, it's uh, growing up uh, deprived. Yeah. yeah. I don't think he was from a wealthy background at all. So... Yeah, and and in that period, certainly during the war, you, you, you didn't matter how much money you had, there was just there wasn't a lot of food in Paris uh, for several years, uh, and and you know it doesn't seem that it's a left right thing. I mean, certainly uh, Saint Laurent and Berger became celebrated and wealthy and uh, uh, famous and lived sumptuously uh, themselves. I mean, I suppose they have a certain left association in, in a number of different ways. But it 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 does seem like there was there was a politics, not a left right politics. It's just a politics of of the aesthetics. And uh, Buffet fell on the wrong side of it, and maybe because he had enough money, never really felt the need to break out of that or couldn't break out of it. I think he uh, he had a lot of pride, and um, he was also uh, a contrarian in his own right. So my final question about Buffet is the Asian interest in his work seems to have been revived in the last few years. Uh, I don't know whether it's more still coming from Japan or it's uh, shifted uh, to to China, but several of the big sales in the last few years have been in Asia and they've been for clown paintings. Can you shed any light on that? Well, the clown paintings are typically the, uh, the, the, uh, why that is, I don't know, but um, he definitely did them throughout his career. It's a very important theme for him. They're super iconic, super recognizable. And uh, to me, I love them. I think they're just creepy and weird and fun and kind of uh, outrageous in their own way. And I love the fact that, um, you know, they, they do remind me of Worrell's ladies and gentlemen. So, um, yeah, I mean, and, and, and Buffet himself used to um, dress as a clown. And, you know, it, it relates to the... Um, the polichinelle and the 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 the, the, the makeup and the, the outfit of uh, and also identity and I think the, the the sexuality and hiding who you are and being something else and the artist vis-a-vis the world. I mean, it's a metaphor for um, a lot of other things. So uh, I don't know. It's his. Uh, is an iconic uh, uh, theme for him, and I think any buffet clown is, uh, is 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 interesting. And we have one buffet clown in the show that uh, comes directly from the family, and uh, is still in the collection of the family. So, uh, and it's a really scary one. So <laughs> I'm really happy about it. I didn't want to have, you know, I would do a show of clowns, but this time I decided to just have one clown, and uh, and we have. Uh, we have some of the nature mort, which is the still lifes, and we have a lot of animals, some of them alive, some of them dead, and we have pictures of the beaches of Normandy in the 1950s, and we have some saints and historic portraits and paintings of guns that he did, and we have paintings from La Mort from the 90s, which are his last paintings, which are great. Um, so, And then we have one wonderful painting from a group called... Uh, uh, 
l'homme écorché, the flayed man of a sort of of a tortured, uh, a skinned alive man, which I also think is a kind of a self-portrait, you know, because Buffet in the 60s was, uh, was uh, suffering a lot of uh, hatred and a lot of, uh, you know, being an outcast from the French system. And he suffered that. He did suffer that. And uh, I think his portrait of the homme écorché, the flayed man, F-L-A-Y-E-D, uh, skinned alive is uh, is very emotional and very much a kind of expression, self-portrait of himself as this kind of tortured being. When, when he did that kind of work, was, you know, he did these annual shows with a theme, and did he sort of work on a theme for a year and then move on? Or like the clowns, did he come back to that flayed man uh, concept, uh, you know, over time? Uh, no, the Flayed Man was just one series. He famously had like this uh, once a year series. So um, um, you know, he, he would paint a, a uh, uh, you know, it was either Joan of Arc or the Flayed Man or the Matadors or, um, uh, and that that would be he, he would do the one show a year, and then they'd sell off the different works um, throughout the course of the year. Well, Adam, it's a great show, and I hope uh, everyone goes to see it. Thank you for listening to the Artelligence Podcast. Visit us at artmarketmonitor.com. 